0: Friends, this is Frederick Henry, and you're listening to The Frederick Henry Show, and I'm continuing a series on the source of Donald Trump's popularity, beginning with a look at the Taxes Enough Already movement and carrying it through uh, to looking at Donald Trump as a person. Uh, Today, in this episode, I'd like to look at the people who support Donald Trump. I think when you look out there in the crowds... Uh, especially when you look at the last election, not since then, but not only since then, but before that. And I remember the very last uh, rally he had in Pennsylvania, the um, channel I always watched was Right Side Broadcasting Network, which is RSBN. And this um, wonderful station, actually it's not a station, it's a... um, what was, a network. It's a brand new upstart network de- dedicated to a lot of conservative and and, and conservative values and deals exclusively uh, on Donald Trump a lot of the time. And that great rally in Pennsylvania was, I think, 59,000 people. And I remember it was in the evening. We saw the end of the campaigns uh, on the cameras. And, and uh, RSBN is a... Cinema Verite, they're not a big editing platform, they're not NBC, ABC, MSNBC with a lot of uh, sophisticated ways to morph the video, they just have a camera, you know, it's like two guys and a camera, and they're, they're wonderful, I love the the uh, the truth and the verity and the, uh, the security of knowing that what I see is what actually is there and not some photoshopped, Um, uh, non-reality, but this is the real thing. And they showed that crowd of 59,000 people at that rally. And I thought to myself, President Trump is going to win the election and he's going to win Pennsylvania. I was absolutely stunned by the number of people who came out at that rally. I mean, huge to the horizon on every area, in fields. I mean, 59,000 people. I'm not talking about in an arena like... Uh, I come from uh, New Jersey, uh, the Met Stadium or something like that, or whatever they call it nowadays, uh, has so many different names. It's not a baseball field or a baseball stadium or a football stadium, it's a field, it's a farming field with flat land and 59,000 people just came out to, and how could the person at the farthest distance of 59,000 people at the horizon level even see Donald John Trump, but they were there to support their candidate. And in my previous episode, I emphasized this. Donald Trump did not make the political movement that created him. The political movement that created Donald John Trump's presidency existed before him. It was called the Taxes Enough Already movement. And that movement uh, produced people like Adam Kinzinger, who betrayed the movement and became not only an establishment uh, person, but an anti—the very people who elected him. He became antagonistic to, and he became the enemy of the values uh, of those same people who elected him. There were a lot of there was a lot of that stuff. There were a lot of political people who, in the early days of the taxes T E A taxes enough already movement. Uh, uh, got elected on the groundswell of populism populism, and then they turned right around, became establishment types, uh, got their money and betrayed the values and the desires of the people who put them in office. And rightfully so, um, the people who put them in office have now rightfully so rejected them, including Liz Cheney, Uh, She wasn't really a TEA person, but she was favorable toward it. Kinzinger and others, uh, Jordan Amash, have been rejected by the very people who put them in office because the people who put them in office felt betrayed. They were not only disappointment. They didn't only have disappointment. They weren't only disillusioned. They were angry at how they had been played the fool. And people do not like to be played the fool, my friend. So, okay. Uh, Trump was chosen by this populist movement. The mechanism of the choice will have to go to people with the more smarts than I have, more degrees. I have a doctorate degree. Um, an earned doctorate degree, but I don't even pretend to be able to um, plummet the depths of, um, uh, of this movement to find out how in the world... John, uh, D- Donald John Trump became the uh, uh, head of this movement. But be assured, he did not create the movement. The create the movement created him. And the movement came to him and said, will you be our leader? Why? Because they had approached many others, like I just said. And many others who could have been in the place of Donald Trump didn't understand the breadth and the depth and the height and the significance of this populist political movement in the United States of America that said enough already of liberal, Democrat, globalist elitism, enough already of the um, effete uh, feminine news media, enough already of being lied to and being abused, enough already of being called deplorable, irredeemable, like Hillary Clinton called us, deplorable, irredeemable, um, rednecks from the the flyover zone. Enough of that. We're not going to tolerate that anymore. We will rebel. Now we didn't take guns. We didn't have. We weren't BLM burning down cities. We weren't Antifa destroying whole entire societies. We were people who stayed within the parameters of our political movement within the Constitution and the United States of America, and we formed ourselves into a populist political movement unorganized. We didn't have leaders. There were no leaders of the DEA movement, not really. The movement was a groundswell of political enthusiasm and political um, activity that um, President Trump, eventually President Trump, but Mr. Trump understood it. He recognized it. I tr- deal with that in my previous uh, podcast, Please look at those podcasts for explanations of how he was able to tap into that. He respected it. He appreciated it. And he accepted the challenge. He accepted the invitation. It was not a formal invitation as some leader because the TEA movement didn't have a leader. They didn't have somebody who would go and deliver an invitation on with a pen and ink and a piece of paper to Donald Trump. But he began to understand that the people of America, the people in the no-fly zones, the people who had been called deplorable, irredeemable, rednecked, uh, the great unwashed, as we were called, we were a, vi- a viable political option. Uh, and he accepted our movement because it was patriotic, was pro-America, and he, a great salesperson, a great um, media person, understood that he had to have a name, so he called it the MAGA movement, Make America Great movement, he talked about that openly, he did not hide that, he didn't uh, hire um, feet snobbery uh, people in the advertising industry to come up with that slogan, he came up with it himself, because that's what he felt that people wanted to hear, and the people loved it, and, uh, in the last election, maybe it was going to be "Make America Great Again." Again, who knows? Or whatever. But th- doesn't matter. He understood the need, and he took the challenge, and he became president in the United States of America, and much to everybody's delight. Now, in this episode, I just want to—I'm going to keep it down to the uh, limited amount of time that I've said in the past, uh, fifteen or ten or fifteen minutes or less. But in this segment, I'd like to emphasize the factor which I've been talking about all along, which is the people of the United States of America, the voters of the United States of America, the people of the earth. That's the workers, the electricians, the plumbers, uh, the builders, the iron workers, uh, the plumbers, uh, the construction workers, the highway workers, the people who collect your toll, Um, the auto workers, the religious community, Protestant, Jewish, and Catholic, and Orthodox who go to church every Sunday, even those who don't go to church every Sunday, the women of America, the men of America, the children of America, the mothers of America, the fathers of America, all these groups that can be identified, they gravitated to the TEA movement, and then they very much gravitated to the uh, the new leader of this movement, Don, they're actually the first leader of the movement, the very first and the only leader of the movement, Donald John Trump, who accepted the challenge, saw the opportunity, and rode this populist wave of enthusiasm, political enthusiasm to the presidency. It was not a negative movement. It was a popular movement. It was a positive movement. It was a make America great movement. And Donald Trump was able to distill the essence of what the voters wanted. They wanted positiveness. They wanted pro-religion. They wanted pro-family. They wanted pro-school. They wanted pro-authority. They wanted pro-constitution. They wanted love for country, love for nation, love for flag, love for patriotism, love for the Constitution, love for the Declaration of Independence, love for our history, love for our people, love for the beauty which it is to be called an American, to live in America. You know, now we have 2 million people a year, About about more or less, take away 500,000, doesn't make any difference. But we have hundreds of thousands of millions of people from South America and the world running to our borders, running over our borders to come here. Not for money, not for a cell phone. Uh, Not to uh, live on welfare, but for opportunity, for a chance to be free, for a chance to be Americans, for a chance to live in America, for a chance to have the American experience, for a chance. These people are coming here because they have a dream. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. And these people have a dream to go to America, to live in America, to be Americans. Yes, they might speak a different language now, but their children will speak English eventually. They may still hold some great affection for their previous cultural, ethnic, and religious experiences around the world. Because this isn't just South America, this is the world that's it, that's coming across our border, our southern border. But they're all coming here because they know the value. They understand what it means to say, I am an American. I live in America. I have the American experience. I love America. America, uh, the Pope John Paul, when he came here, got off the plane, that beautiful Polish-English accent said, America, America, America. God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. And then he kissed the earth of the United States of America. Pope John Paul II, who I was privileged to see up front and personal in his appearance at the stadium in New Jersey by special invitation of the Archdiocese of Newark. Wonderful, wonderful experience. And a thrilling experience, one that I will never forget, besides the fact that he's a saint now. But nonetheless, so I I met one of the greatest patriots of the world, a world patriot, a pope, and eventually a saint uh, who loved America, who loved Poland, who loved freedom. He lived under the Nazis. He lived under the communists. He knew what communism was about. He knew what Nazism was about. He knew what tyranny was about. And he knew when he said, America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crowned your good with brotherhood from to." He knew what he was saying. He wanted America to hear that. And America heard that, the TEA party knows that value, the people, the, the, uh, the, the tens of millions of people who voted for John, uh, Donald John Trump in the election, they know that's their value, that's their core, that's their essence politically and culturally. And so the essence of that value is Americanism, American exceptionalism and not to be ashamed of it, not to keep it selfishly held to the chest, not to grasp it with a fist, but to share it with the world. Indeed, no doubt. But that's the um, power that Donald John Trump had as and ha- and still has as an American political figure. Now, I'm going to try to deal with this in a few. Uh, one minute left. And when we read about attacks against Trump, when we read about the elite, uh, the, the, the effete elite liberal Democrat globalist snobs attacking, whether it's in the media or the FBI or the CIA or the Democrat Party, attacking Trump, it's not Trump. They're not attacking Trump. He is you. He is me. He is our chosen leader, who has accepted our invitation to be the leader, and he has fought the fight. He has run the race, and he has he has earned our respect and our appreciation and our support. Because it's not about Trump. They call it Trump derangement syndrome. Fine, and then you call it what you want. But the reality is, it's the people. The people who backed him, the values that made him, uh, the religious values that honor him, uh, the dignity, and integrity of the American worker, farmer, uh, man, woman, and child, family member, family leader, and, and community leader, th- th- those people who put him where he is, they, they the effete, uh, feminine, uh, they are feminine liberals, Liberal, Democrat, Globalist—I would say Communist, even Nazi, uh, Socialist, Globalist—and and deal with deal with World Economic Forum and deal with what they want to do to you and to me—and they are doing it under the Biden administration, and they will continue to do it. And we better be willing to fight and fight hard to over because they're going to attack. Uh, that radar, Mar-a-Lago—that is about Trump. It's about you. It's about me. Those 73,000 IRS agents, that's about Trump. It's about you and me. Be afraid, they're saying. Be terribly afraid. But we're not going to be afraid because we have a leader. We have a movement. And united we stand. It was said in the the beginning of our nation. United we stand. United we stand. Divided we fall. And we're not going to be divided. We're not going to be coward. We're not going to be shamed. We're not going to be pushed down and kept down and stepped on. You're not going to put your federalist, your federal government boot on our neck. It's not going to happen. It has happened to 600 people who were put in the gulag in D.C. But like my great friend, who I really have never met but I respect with great uh, uh, affection, um, said, it was tough, it was hard. But I believed, and what I believed in I stood fast and I made it through, and now I'm free again. Friends, that's the future of us. We have to, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be hard. We're gonna have to fight. We're gonna have to stand fast. We're gonna have to be united. We have to support President Trump. We're gonna have to not be afraid to stand up and stand out. We're gonna be peaceful. We're going to be organized. We're gonna be political. And we're going to use the voting machine. At every level, at the mayor level, at the uh, state representative level, at the governor level, and at the federal level, Congress and senators to say no, no, to their globalist agenda, and yes, to make America great again. And so, friends, this is, I'm gonna. I know this is longer than I intended it to be. I'm gonna publish it, and I said. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. I'm trying to express uh, uh, feelings about uh, President Trump and the upcoming elections from the viewpoint of one American in the heartland uh, speaking to fellow Americans in the heartland. And if there are any on either coast who are willing to listen and to consider uh, the power of the political movement, uh, the populist political movement that has given us Donald John Trump President of the United States of America. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Frederick Henry, and you're listening to the Frederick Henry Podcast.